All right. Oh, it's a good Saturday. I'm going to go online, homeandgardenexpo.com. God, what did I do before? I, I have so much extra time. Raid. What? Raid. Is, what? Is, oh, someone Skyped me. Raid. Oh, okay. All right. Answer. Click. Who Bever- is this? Beverly Hills. What are you up to? What? Who's Beverly Hills? I don't know what you're talking Beverly about. Beverly Hills. This is the Dirty Dog Darcy. I need you back on Minnie Vincent's radio, Jack. Dirty Dog? Oh, my God. I faintly remember. I was your Dirty Dog usher in your wedding a few months ago. Yeah, don't you remember been, me? It's been so long. I I very faintly remember it in the back of my mind. Beverly Hills. I'm going to give you this one hint. And let's see if this might refresh in your memory. Are you ready? I guess. From the intersection of Sunset Boulevard and Pastry, Minnesota, moved all over. Main event status radio with your host, Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210, and the Dirty Dog. Welcome back to Main Event Status Radio, daddy-os and daddyettes. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy with my ring bell that's been uh, out of commission for a few weeks. And joining me is my broadcast partner, the one, the only, uh, Mike Tenade of the podcast, Mr. Beverly Hills. I finally found you from the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. Oh my gosh, it is so good to be back. I thank Dean Stahl, I thank Daddy Sunshine for keeping my chair warm, for probably doing a better job than me, but I am back and it is great to be back. Are you back and are you better than ever? I certainly am, certainly am. I would just hope if I would have that theme song, it would be sung better than when Eric Bischoff had it. I hate that song. Do you have a knack for making things better? Oh my God, I love that you know the lyrics to that song. Because this (laughs) maniac is better than ever. Oh my gosh, Poetry Slam. The only reason why I remember those lyrics is because I was listening to that song, I think, uh, sometime this past week at work. <laughs> oh, my God. This is like an onion. You peel it, and it just keeps getting better. There are layers upon layers. You know the lyrics to the Eric Bischoff, Bischoff theme song. You were listening to it at work. It just, like I said, it keeps getting better and better. Talk about things that keep on getting better and better is... <laughs> The podcast for today, Beverly Hills. Yes, I'm so excited. Speaking of Eric Bischoff, right? It's kind of related in. What are we talking about today, Mr. Beverly Hills? Well, we're we're going down the special route here. Um, We are doing an episode about the invasion, the, the, the very famous WCW, ECW invasion of 2001. Yes, and we are having a repeat guest on. Yes. Captain Obvious, trade debt from the Steel Reel to a show. Since I had him on a few months back, actually a couple of days after the big wedding day. Yes. And how Captain and I talked about the Monday Night Wars. And we briefly touched on the invasion storyline. So I thought it would be only be apropos since we were planning on doing this invasion podcast this month. 
it would only be fitting to have Captain back on to talk more in depth about the evasion storyline. Right. I think it's a it's a perfect uh, yep to have him back. Uh, um, yeah, he, he had the first part. Now we'll get his thoughts on the kind of second part too. So I know I tweeted last night when I got home. Well, this morning when I got home from work, and I'll ask this to Captain Obvious later in the show. But we did get one question so far in about the Monday Night Wars, Beverly Hills. Yes. Uh huh. And uh, let's see. Yes, this is from Jackson Hurd. I believe huh? I pronounced his last name right. At Jackson Hurd, he is wondering why do we think this storyline was burnt out so quickly? Yeah, I don't want to answer it yet. I feel like we're going to get to it during the podcast here. I think it's a good intro, though. So yeah, I thought I might as well throw that question out. Now, for you listeners, the main adventures think about can it. think about it, and something you guys can look forward to towards the end of the podcast like, that we'll discuss that question with Captain Obvious. That's like what I do in my classes. It's the essential question. We pose it at the beginning, and then we try to think, try to answer it by the end. We are thinking, thinking, <laughs> thinking. You got it. And once we once we get Captain on. We will be, one of the first questions, as always, I will, will be asking, as another tease. Ooh, what's that? Is his opinion on the TLC pay-per-view last oh, weekend. Oh, God. Okay. We're, we're talking about the invasion, man. <laughs> yeah, I am invading this podcast with oh, another pay-per-view God. review. Come on, man. And as a tease, if you guys want more on Captain Obvious's thoughts about the TSO pay-per-view, a match-by-match breakdown, you guys can listen to his podcast, <laughs> The Still Real Lewis Show, found on iTunes. God, iTunes. Let's talk about iTunes. Yes. Uh, let talk about iTunes. I did mention it a little bit on Twitter, and I think I mentioned it a little bit with the Daddy Sunshine episode, viewing WCW Monday Night Show number two, but we have a new feed. Yes, make sure that you're on the new one, because I, the podcast co-host, was still subscribing to the old one, and I am like, why am I not getting the Daddy Sunshine podcast? I don't understand, and then I had to search it myself, so... It is yeah. linked up up on minivantstatus.com. If you go to our, I think, our episode page or about page, it should I should have a link up there. If not, tweet you know, tweet at me at Dirty Dog Mes. I will send you the link. But yeah, just if not, look look up you know, main event status radio up on iTunes again. It'd be the feed. It'd be the second feed. You know, if look look at it, the artist would be Be- Dirty Dog Darcy and Mister Beverly Hills. Awesome, awesome. And it has. You're, you're a podcast artist. And it has all of our podcast episodes that I wanted to get. Every single episode up on iTunes instead of the last 10. Perfect. So we'll take a quick, quick break. Break, 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 break. And we'll be right back with Captain Obvious right after this. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. I know what you're thinking. I'm not a real athlete. I'm just a wrestler. 
I'm six foot ten, three hundred and twenty-eight pounds. I won boxing as golden gloves three years in a row. I was a national champion at the University of Miami. My jersey was retired at Florida State. I was the ultimate fighting champion. When you step through those ropes, bad things do happen. Had over two hundred stitches. I've suffered a dozen concussions. I've broken bones. I've separated shoulders. Damn broke my neck. I've blown out knees. But I still got up. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not really an athlete. This isn't real. Try lacing my boots. Hey, B, no way a little dude like you is gonna change uh, my ways. It's time you were tempted with the taste of nuts and honey. Hulk Hogan doesn't eat nuts and honey. Did you take this? An unbeatable part of this nutritious breakfast. That's better than a body slam. Undefeated. And he's still champion. It's a honey envelope. It's honey that Cheerios. Welcome back, everybody, to Main Event Status Radio. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. My broadcast partner, Mr. Beverly Hills, is back after this break. And we have Captain Obvious Trey Dent back. How's it going, Captain? Good, good. Glad to be back on the show. Um... Listening to you guys over the last few weeks, man, I love your guys' show. You guys have a lot of fun. Thanks, much, much appreciated. And we—that's one thing we try to do—is have fun and and uh, laugh a little bit when we do the podcast. So well, I know we—I right. know one thing I we talked about before we got you on was I know you, you talked about it a little little bit on your podcast, uh, but what's your overall thoughts on TLC last weekend, Captain? It was. I think I rated it a little bit higher than my podcast partner. I thought it was a good show. I think people give a lot of crap because I mean a lot of crap to TLC because of like the Big Show match, you know Ryback's match, and when you have two big guys fighting it out, I mean it's going to be slow. It's going to be methodical, and, and people nowadays love speed and action and, and stuff like that. You can't really get that with those guys. But overall, I thought, you know, the Ziggler match was great. Cena's match was great. And Ambrose Wyatt, other than the finish, was great. Even Nikki Bella and, and AJ Lee had a good match. So overall, I thought it was a, a pretty entertaining uh, pay-per-view event. So I felt like the Raw and Cena match blew away my expectations for that match. That, you know, with the Cena match, depending on who this, his opponent is, is average at best, but I felt like the, especially with how the the first table break with the referee being knocked out, and both of them going through it with the with the original referee, then the third table table breakage. I thought that was the best way to build up Seth Rollins and not have him look bad after taking the loss. Well, and then plus to come back on on Raw and give him the win in the steel cage match help. But the thing about John Cena, people give him a lot of crap for the five moves of Doom, and you know he can't work. But when you put him in the ring with somebody who's really athletic, whether it was Shawn Michaels, whether it's Dolph Ziggler, whether it's Cesaro, whether it's Seth Rollins, he plays to their level. Like, if he's in the ring with a Ryback, you're going to get a really boring, dull match. But if he's in the ring with somebody who's athletically gifted, he can kind of raise his game. It's kind of like, you know, when, when you're like the Seattle Seahawks or Alabama Crimson Tide and you're the defending Super Bowl champions, you know, you kind of play to the level of your opponent. If you're playing Wake Forest, you're not going to play that great because you kind of figure you can just kind of walk through it. It's not a big deal. But if you're playing another great team, you play to that level. And John Cena is a perfect example of somebody who does that. He, he really is. That's exactly what I was going to say, too. He is, like you said, that perfect example of someone who is at that average level 
willing, you know, willing and able to go up if he needs to, but he's not going to bring someone from the bottom up to his level. Like, Cena, like exactly what you said. John Cena never wants to get outshined, you right. know, and if you put him in the ring with someone who's tremendous in the ring, I mean, even the stuff with CM Punk, you know, he brings his level up because he doesn't want to look bad, you know, so he can, you can put him in the ring with two guys and, you know, who are jobbers or mid card and he'll just kind of walk through the match because, He's John Cena. He's going to look good in that match no matter what. But you put him in there with somebody who's just a tremendous in-ring worker, he steps his game up because he's John Cena and he has to look good coming out of it. Right. Yeah, and, and his style, his wrestling style, doesn't really owe to carrying an- another person just because he's not moving a lot. He's not doing a lot of moves. So he he can be carried, but I don't think he can carry others. Really. He's a lot. He's a lot like Sting was back in the WCW. Mm-hmm. Like Sting, like if he had a great match, it was because he was wrestling somebody great. Like nobody writes home about Sting and Lex Luger. You know, they write home. They write about Sting and Ric Flair. You know, because Flair could carry a match, and Sting could be that strong, athletic guy to make Flair look even better. You know, but him and Lex Luger never had great matches. Sting and Kevin Nash never had great matches. You know, it was John Cena and Sting physically are a lot alike. They're very strong and they're still athletic, but they're not great at any one thing. Yeah. And what's your, I know you mentioned it a little bit, but I felt like the Wyatt Ambrose TLC match was probably one of the better singles matches, at least on pay per view this year. It was up there. I mean, I still. I still go back. I love the Rollins-Ambrose-Lumberjack uh, match. I thought that was a great match. But that TLC match was great, other than I hated the ending. The whole oh, monitor the whole monitor exploding. It was kind of like Yokozuna Bret Hart with the flashbulb going off in the face. You know, It was just ridiculous kind of cheesy ending. But in a way, it worked because it no, you know, Bray Wyatt gets the win, and then Dean Ambrose doesn't look that bad because it was a fluke loss in a lot of sense. Yeah. The only thing is it's just so contrived. Like, why is there a TV on underneath the ring? Why does he grab it? Why does he bring it into the ring? You know, just like there's too many questions for me that are take you out of the moment, like when you're watching. Well, I, I liked it because they had to sit there and kind of sell the fact that that's how guys under the ring know when to come out. <laughs> because there's a monitor under the ring and they have to sit there and, and as an you know as an announcer now I kind of understand the plight that guys like Michael Cole goes through because yeah. like okay how can I explain this without letting people see what's behind the curtain so to speak right, right. You know, like why you know JBL's like why is there a monitor under there um because we have technicians I have never seen a technician go under <laughs> the ring ever you know but yet in this match that it just happened and the fact that Ambrose didn't even think about hey this monitor has a power cord, and power cords are not infinitely long. Yeah, he didn't bother to check to see how long the cord was. It's like, dude, it's plugged in under the ring somewhere, and you're thinking you're going to be able to pull it out all the way into the middle of the ring and then hit somebody with it. But I have, I mean, I have unplugged TVs pretty hard before, and they've never exploded in my face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy they didn't, you, Captain. You, I, I got to think that, you know, 50 years into television technology, that we're not having electrical explosions <laughs> when we pull them out of the wall. 
You know, then, <laughs> I feel I really hope that we're to that point where they're safer than that. <laughs> and then would and going forward, wouldn't every fire marshal that they go into an arena be like, "Hey, I saw that exploding TV you guys had last week. <laughs> that was pretty unsafe. Like, are you guys wiring this up with like duct tape and bubble gum under the ring here? You know, it just like the it, it lost its realism for that yes. moment when that happened. Yep. Yep. And I mean, like, I don't know that it's really that kind of that uh, delicate line when you have a a guy like Bray Wyatt, where you can get into, you know, the craziness. And then there's that really thin line between craziness and the word you used earlier, which is cheesiness. And you don't want to cross it. But I feel like they did. The funny part to me is, you know, earlier when they did the table spot, he pulled the monitors out out of the way. Yeah. And that was okay for that spot, but then when he goes to hit a guy with a monitor, that's, you know, it's like, wait, why wouldn't you have just left the monitors in the table when you crashed through it? Right. Of, I mean, I was like, okay, you guys are trying, like, I'm supposed to suspend disbelief when I'm watching this show. Yep. But the, 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 the weird Captain Obvious in me points out these little obvious flaws in, this, in the script. I'm like, this makes no sense. Yep. At least if you're going to put them through the table, leave the monitors in. Because then when he goes to use the other monitor at the end, it makes sense because he's really trying to hurt him. But to take the monitors out of the table before you put the guy through it shows that, hey, I am watching out for your well-being a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I know before we get into the invasion storyline, I know I wanted to talk a little bit about it on the podcast. I know, Captain, I know you talked about it with Jeff on the Still Real Lewis show. What's both of your guys' thoughts on CM Punk quitting and talking on the Art of Wrestling podcast and now being a UFC fighter? Well, I think I thought it was a brilliant stroke by Dana White, UFC, CM Punk, the whole the whole group there to kind of capitalize on something when it's hot. I mean, yeah. if they had announced if they had announced this signing back in say, you know, May, it wouldn't have got the buzz it got because you know, CM Punk hadn't come out and spoke to anybody. You know, he hit it right at the perfect time because he knew if he went on his show, on Colt Cabana's show and made his statement, knowing that Stone Cold's Vince McMahon was gonna be on Stone Cold's podcast right after it and was going to respond that was going to get mainstream publicity, not just from wrestling podcasts or wrestling websites, but from mainstream publicity. Yep. And then to turn around, uh, you know, less than 10 days later and show up at a UFC event and announce that he signed with UFC. I mean, he's been on national uh, sports talk radio shows all over the country since this signing. I mean, I can't remember a, a UFC fighter in recent history that has so much publicity going into his first fight since Brock Lesnar, you know, so a brilliant move on everybody's part, how he does in a fight that's completely up in the air. Cause I've seen grown men. I mean, Kimbo slice was one of the baddest men on the planet got into a strike force or a pride fighter strike force and got knocked out, you know? Right. So how he actually is going to do in a fight. I don't know, but as far as marketing and promotion, UFC hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you said? What do you call Kimbo Slice the, the baddest man on the planet? I thought of <laughs> Mr. McMahon in January of 1998 and Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was like it's, they did. Dana White took a page out of Vince McMahon's playbook with this whole thing. I mean, I mean, he took Mike Tyson and made Stone Cold Steve Austin a household name with that whole with that whole thing in 1998. 
you know, you look at this thing here, Dana Weiss done the same thing with CM Punk. I mean, CM Punk is now national news. He's mainstream. He's on sports shows. He's on ESPN. He's everywhere. And so, you know, the casual UFC fan, the guys, not the guys who watch every single show, but the guys like me who, yeah, I'll watch if there's a good fight that I'm interested in. You know, guys like me, the casual UFC fan, we're all going to watch this fight just because this guy's known. I mean, he has a name and he's never been in in an octagon before. Yep. And we might as well transition into what, you know, the the meat and potatoes of the podcast. I know we kind of talked about this a few months ago, Captain, but where were you as a wrestling fan in the year 2001 when WWF bought out ECW and WCW? Um, where was I? I was living in North Carolina at the time. I think I was like in my early twenties and, you know, I was one of those guys that would sit there during the Monday night wars and I would flip back and forth. Like I was, you know, to me, WCW was never about the great matches. They were more about the the shenanigans going on. Who was going to show up from WWE? Who was going to be the next guy to join the NWO? Who was going to change? I'd watch WCW for that and then watch raw for the more entertaining matches. And, you know, when it came out that Vince had bought out WCW, I was actually driving from, I actually remember exactly where I was. I was in Statesville, North Carolina, and I picked up a copy of the USA Today, and it was front page news that WWF had bought out WCW. And I was like, this is insane. Like, how is this going to play out? And I was on my way to my, and that first Monday night afterwards, when we did this, they did the simulcast between WWE and, you know, WCW, and Shane McMahon ended up being the one who bought out WCW storyline wise, you know, I was at my girlfriend's house watching it. And I was like, this is insane. Like I would have never thought you would see a McMahon on WCW television ever. I mean, I just, it was just mind blowing. And at that time, since the internet had really not picked up steam in the world of professional wrestling, you know, you still had those gray areas of question marks as to what was really going on. What was the storyline? What was the shoot? What was real? What was fake? And it was still in that weird area of, is this real? Am I really seeing this? And it was just one of those just mind-bending moments in the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was just so strange to me, too. Like, I, I didn't think that WCW would go under. I don't know. I, I knew that it was awful. I knew that the, the final dime, times of WCW weren't good. But I just thought it would continue on into perpetuity. It's really strange that... You know, when Shane came out, I'm like, wow, okay, yep, here it is. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, cause yeah. I, I, yeah, I would have been in middle school when this happened, and I didn't have cable at the time. And I remember that Tuesday going to school, and a few of my friends who, you know, we would chat wrestling and all that. And on, on Tuesday, they they had to come up to me when I was, uh, you know, the, the little dirty dog, the, the, the little puppy dog, and they were telling me, you know, Vince just bought out WCW, and I didn't believe them at at that time. I was yeah. I was surprised that WCW finally got bought out and was finally finished. And I, I guess I was expecting them to pull a WC or a pull a TNA and seem like continually go on in a crappy state. Well, I just never thought it'd be a McMahon that bought him out. I mean, Time Warner AOL when they bought out Ted Turner and bought all that stuff. I mean, they really were the downfall of WCW. I mean, the contracts that they were signing with guys and these guaranteed deals and everything else. And then once the ratings started tanking, 
they just wash, you know, they just wipe their hands and say we're done with it. And we get we're getting out. I always thought that if back then if WCW was going to be bought out, it was going to be by somebody else who was into wrestling, and then or you know somebody who knew how to market the product better. But I mean, there's only a select few of people, like adult grown up men. I mean, guys in their 40s and 50s who will admit to being diehard wrestling fans, especially if you're somebody of a celebrity or you have a lot of money. I mean, you go back to the TNA stuff, you know, when they were rumoring, when the rumor was like Billy Corgan was going to buy out TNA or Toby Keith was going to buy out TNA. It was like, wow, you guys like wrestling? Really? You know, it's kind of a weird thing that these celebrities were admitting that they liked wrestling. And, you know, when all that stuff was going down at WCW, it was like you kind of felt like somebody had to jump in and buy them that was into the business and then you realize who's out there, who really is a diehard wrestling fan that has a lot of money that could do this. And so when WWE bought it out, it was like it was sad because you need a strong number two. You need other companies yes. because it gives the workers leverage. But when Vince bought it out, it was like, wow, it's like playing Monopoly and Vince just got boardwalk and park place. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like when you were talking about celebrities who like wrestling even think about how much crap did ted turner get for owning for owning wcw it through the whole time it seemed like in the business end in the entertainment and it's like oh ha 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 ted turner he also owns a wrestling company isn't that funny you know so for anybody to stick out their neck with you know who has a considerable amount of cash and say yeah i'm in the wrestling business that is a step to say the least, you know, I mean, and then you, you can look around the country and especially like the last like eight to 10 years, you see these companies come up out of nowhere and pop up and, you know, they get a little bit of buzz like Ring of Honor, you know, Ring of Carrie Silken starts Ring of Honor. They start getting noticed. Sinclair Media jumps in and buys them out. You look at TNA with Jeff Jarrett and his dad starting TNA yeah. and then, you know, the Carter family and, and their energy with a panda energy jump in and and buy it out. It's like. Once these companies get bought out by conglomerates, by corporations, they kind of lose what made them so great. And that's one of the great things about WWE. I mean, people give Vince McMahon and, the, and his family a lot of crap for the way they run it, but it's still a family business. You know, these guys make their money off WWE, and that's pretty much it for the most part. Whereas Sinclair Media and, and Panda Energy and, you know, Time Warner AOL. AOL they, yep. They were making their money elsewhere, and so they didn't really care what happened to their product as much. Yep. You know, ultimately what killed WCW is they were seen as just a portfolio. You know, they were just another thing in the AOL Time Warner portfolio. Wasn't making money, so it's done. You know, it was just a business decision, right? Yeah, and it's it's amazing. You look back 13 years ago, and AOL was the biggest thing in the company in, yeah. in the country, you know. And then now you go, AOL is that still around? Like my my dad, God bless his soul, I love him to death, but he still uses AOL as a browser. Oh my! God. And I just I look at him like he's a dinosaur. I'm like, Sir, Dad, you can use something. You, know, you can use, you don't have to sign into AOL anymore. You can just click a button and you're on the internet. Oh no, I know how to do it this way. That's all I know. And there are people out there who are still like that. And it's just you know you're right. It was one of those things where. Time Warner AOL saw that you know WCW was losing money, and they were like, "Hey, when when a when a company that we own, whether it's wrestling, whether it's a movie production company, whether it's just a business, they start losing money, we cut ties and we sever it." You know, if Ted Turner was still in charge of WCW, it might have stuck around for a lot longer. But since he had sold it all out, that's why it died off. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
and it's and you know it's sad because it, uh, as wrestling fans we think about that, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's just simple dollars and cents. They were just done with it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I don't like I mentioned before with TNA that if Ted Turner didn't sell out to AOL Time Warner, would WCW go on kind of in the TNA sense on awful book and awful storylines? And continue on in the last couple of years' state that we saw WCW in. Yeah, I don't well, know. I didn't. I didn't hate those last few months of WCW. I don't know. You can you can jump in and, and disagree if you want, but I thought the last couple months of WCW weren't that bad. Two thousand was about some of the worst wrestling in history, but I didn't think the last maybe month or so of WCW was all that terrible. See, like, I didn't mind the Magnificent Seven storyline. You know, I didn't mind some of, some of the stuff they did. I didn't mind it. You know, they w- what eventually they would have had to do is cut ties with some of these guys who weren't working and had these guaranteed contracts and were making a lot of money to sit at home and do nothing. Right. You know, and they would have had to do much like what TNA's done over the last six months and just go, yeah, you're a great wrestler, but it's about cost analysis and we're paying you more when you're not around than what you're bringing in when you are around, you know, we're going to have to let you go. And that would have been a completely different, you know, storyline as to what happened. But WCW would have stuck around because if Ted Turner never sells to AOL, he still owns TBS. He still owns TNT. WCW would have always had a network home. They would have had a home on either one of those networks to compete. And if they had done the right thing and said, okay, you know, you make too much money, you make too much money, you guys can go, go back to Vince, go back, you know, go somewhere else, go overseas, you know, and just kind of got back to focusing on some of the younger talents that they had that would later make an impact in WWE, you know, they would have been fine. But, you know, when, when a corporation looks at you as a dollars and cents business and not as a pet project, you know, if you're not bringing home money, they're done. And, they just happened to hit that NWO thing way too soon. If they had hit it at the end and they would have had the marketing and the merchandise and AOL would have seen how much money that was bringing in, they would have never sold it because, you know, the NWO to this day, people are still out there buying NWO shirts and wearing NWO shirts. You see it at every wrestling show. Somebody's pulling it out of their closet and throwing it on. I mean, we're, we're sitting here, you know, 15 years after the NWO, 16 years after the NWO, and we still talk about the NWO on every podcast in this country. Well, you know, you mentioned, you know, if, if the NWO would have been born in let's see, the year 2000 instead of 1996, who would have been the three members, three initial members of the NWO in year 2000? I mean, I, I mean, it, that's hard to say because I mean, at that point you're going, okay, is Nash there? Is Hall there? I mean, to me, what killed one of the biggest things WCW did wrong is when they got Bret Hart from WWE and then you don't put him on TV the next day. Is ridiculous. It's the hottest name in wrestling. He just had this, you know, screw job match where he gets screwed over by Vince McMahon. He punches Vince in the face, and you don't put him on Nitro and you don't put him on Thunder right after that. You wait until Starcade. That was ridiculous. It screwed the whole thing up. And by the time he finally showed up, you know, the the fire had dwindled. You know, people's, you know, wanting to see Bret Hart, it had kind of died down a little bit. And then to sit there and go, okay, well, he's kind of in the NWO. He's not in the NWO. He's back in the NWO. That, you know, that, for, for me, that's the big thing is all that ha- all that they ended up doing with him was they just rolled him into the 
same old, same old NWO, WCW storyline. He should have had his own thing, been the number one star in the company, and roll from there. But all they did was just bring it into the, the same old, same old. I mean, if they had brought him out as the savior of WCW, put him with Goldberg and Diamond Dallas Page against the rest of the NWO, you know, and let him be the quarterback of that little trio, you know, it would have made great television because people wanted to like Bret Hart, especially after you punch Vince McMahon in the face. You know how many wrestling fans would give, like, they would kill yeah. their mother to punch Bret Hart, I mean, to punch Vince McMahon in the face. And you come out there and you roll them in there with Hogan and Bischoff and the rest of the NWO. It's like, what? That just makes you a sellout. You know, as much as we wanted to love the NWO, we didn't want Bret Hart to love the NWO. We know Bret Hart was anti-American at the end of W, you know, at the end of his run in WWF. It's like, but now he's going to sell out and join the NWO and just, you know, be in the mid card for them. I mean, that was ridiculous. Well, he had, well, and then he had a built-in storyline to be like, yeah, I just brought down Vince. I was able to get out from under his thumb. Now I'm going to bring down the NWO. I'm going to show you, Goldberg Sting, how to do it. And, yeah. you know, this is how. And then, you know, there it is. Not to Not mention, to- it's like, I just got rid of one evil pro- you know, promoter. Right. Why would I inside with an, another evil promoter? Yeah. How was like, Bischoff different from what Vince was doing, right? They were almost doing the same character. Exactly. And it's like, you know, it's like it just made no sense to have. And plus, like anybody who's a wrestling fan knows how much Bret Hart hated Hulk Hogan. I mean, hated Hulk Hogan. He felt like Hulk Hogan held him down for years oh, yeah. in WWF. And then right away, he's buddying up with Hogan. It's <laughs> like it made the diehard wrestling fans go, OK, we don't believe your character. Casual fans are like, well, you just sold out. So it just killed off any kind of fire he had coming into the company. And then to not really do anything with him for the first couple months you had him, it was just bad booking around. And I blame, and honestly, I blame Hogan for that because although they wanted to get Brett from WWE, Hogan didn't want to lose his spot. Come on, brother. It's all about the money. By the way, I did see a great Hulk Hogan t-shirt at Spencer's. It actually says, it says what you going to do, brother? And it's got Hogan like in a silhouette. It's a pretty awesome shirt. And I actually told my girlfriend, it's like, oh, I kind of want to get it. If you, get, if you can get it for me for Christmas, that'd be great. I would totally wear it. <laughs> yeah, then uh, what's your guys' thoughts on Shane McMahon being the secret owner of WCW in the final Nitro? I thought it was a good move. I thought it was kind of something different, a little bit interesting, you know, because – Shane had always kind of been, at that point, kind of been the lackey to his dad in a lot of ways. You know, he'd always been kind of like, I guess, the McMahon enforcer. And, you know, people don't understand this. When you're the son of somebody who's very, very wealthy, you know, you're always in that shadow. I mean, you look at, like, even in the world of professional wrestling, until unless, I mean, you look at, like, um, Eric Watts, you know, which I only bring that up because his ex-girlfriend, Goldilocks, was supposed to be at one of our shows here, and she no-showed. But when you're growing up the shadow of cowboy Bill Watts, you know, it's hard to break out of that. You look at like Dustin Rhodes and Cody Rhodes. They had to go way outside the box to get out away from their dad's shadow. You look at David Flair. I mean, he had to do all kinds of crazy stuff with Crowbar to try to break that moniker of being Flair's son. You know, so when you're Shane McMahon and you're living in your dad's shadow in a lot of ways, 
you got to come up with something to differentiate your character and make yourself known. And when they did that with Shane buying out WCW, I thought it was a brilliant stroke of genius on their part to sit there and say, I'm my own man. I'm not my father's son. I'm going to strike out on my own. And it was a good setup for what they were going to do going forward. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel. I, I don't know. It just it seemed like they were just going back to the same thing they always did with just McMahon being you know a various McMahon being part of the ownership. Although I did really like the the very first promo when Shane kind of was able to pop Vince's balloon and and reveal that he was the owner. That was a great great visual and a great uh, promo. Yeah, I know, Beverly. I know you kind of touched on it, but uh, I felt like this Shane. Well, owning WCW was another wrinkle in the McMahon versus McMahon feud, and they were well, just they, and they were using the WCW bandwagon, and I guess when the ECW got involved too, they were using two forward companies as a wrinkle to continue the McMahon versus McMahon feud. Well, I mean, they had only kind of at that point they had only kind of touched on it; they hadn't really gone full blown Shane versus Vince. I don't think so. When Shane did that, I mean, they had touched on it a little bit, but Shane doing that really set up that we're going to have this father versus son. You didn't know where Stephanie was going to fall in at that point. You didn't know where Linda was going to fall in at that point. But, you know, it was the it was the old biblical story, father versus son, trying to become your own man. So to me, I thought it was a good move. But, you know, it was <clears throat> when I when you sit down and look back at it, you're like, wow, this could be really, really bad because, you know, Vince was hated. I mean, Vince was still hated by WWE fans. Shane was loved. Fans, I mean, even though he was still booked as a heel at times, you know, the fans really loved Shane seeing this, you know, rich kid get out there in the ring and put his body through tables and fall off of ladders and all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, the fans loved Shane and hated Vince. And I think that was, you know, we're going to get into it here in a minute, but I think that was actually a precursor to why this whole angle ended up not working. Right. Right. I agree. First, I want to say, I think you're right that maybe like hindsight is like coloring my view on the McMahon versus the McMahon stuff. You're right. I think when thinking back to 2001, I don't think we had a lot of it. Maybe the last 10 years of everything being McMahon versus McMahon has, has, like I said, colored that. Um, And yeah, yep, you're you're trailing down the the exact path that I want to get to too. When uh, yeah, using Vince as the face, I think is a a poor decision. Why don't we kind of had I think Shane and Vince, Shane versus Vince a little bit. I think in right around a uh, little after WrestleMania 15, if I remember correctly. Uh, then I think at you know WrestleMania 2000 when there's a McMahon in every corner. But mm-hmm. I guess like you said, Captain, you know it wasn't. If they touched on it, it was very, very minimum up to 2001. Yep. I mean, there was one thing. I mean, that's it's one of those things where, like, I've talked about it here, like, in, in other podcasts and stuff like that, where, you know, there are there are storylines that always work. And father versus son is one of those ones because you get emotionally invested, especially if you're a guy. Because every guy has had problems with their dad at some point. You know, no no father's son relationship has ever been perfect. There have been times we've all wanted to punch our dad in the face. You know, and actually to see it come out play on TV, that's why guys when they're in their early 20s and they're, you know, they're, I mean, their late teens, early 20s, we watch that. We're like, we're pro Shane. You know, where guys who were like in their 40s were like, they were pro Vince. 
because every father-son dynamic has had that moment where you want to just knock the crap out of the other person. Yeah. Yep. Yep, I was right there. In 2001, I was 15. I was right with Shane on that one. <laughs> now, since, honestly, this would have happened in March, what's your guys' thoughts on Shane wearing a sweater in Florida? <laughs> I include I included this in the outline. I thought it was completely ridiculous that he came out in Panama City Beach wearing a sweater, and then he was sweating his ass off during the whole promo. I thought it was that. I thought it was a turtleneck. It was a, it was a, a cable knit sweater, and it was a turtleneck too. Oh my goodness! See, I, that's the thing. You know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, Vince is like Shane. I'm gonna send you down to Florida. And you're going to be the guy who buys out WCW. And so Vince, like Shane was, it was probably kind of chilly in Connecticut when he <laughs> hopped on the jet to fly down there. He wasn't even thinking. He's like, I get to go be the one who buys out WCW. Um, he's just excited. He's pumped up. He didn't have a wardrobe. He probably got down there. was like, what the, can, can I get a PA to run down to Kohl's and buy me a shirt? Oh, we don't have any PAs left because we fired everybody. Shit. <laughs> Oh well, that you know that that did make me laugh. Yeah, seeing Shane in a sweater on Panama Beach. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your guys' thoughts on the time between the final Nitro and the first first few WCW superstars on Monday Night Raw? Well, to me, it's kind of like the same thing we talked about with Bret Hart. You know, it was like you should they should have struck a little faster while the iron was hot. You know, it's like you just bought this company. Put some of these guys on your TV network right away. You know, I understand some of the bigger name guys you could have done because you had to sit there and work out the AOL Time Warner contracts and all that stuff. You know, I heard Sting talk about it on the Jim Ross podcast where, you know, Vince had actually approached him about coming out sooner. But he was like, dude, I'm going to make a lot more money sitting at home. Yeah. It was the same thing with Hogan, Nash, Hall, all those guys. But, I mean, you could have got Shane Helms. You could have got some of the younger talents that were on your roster that were still around and, and kind of built those guys up a little bit more. And then when you start your storyline, break them away to the other faction. Right. And at least then WWE you know, audiences would have known who these guys were. You know, instead of waiting those months until they finally showed up, by then, you know, casual fans have been kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. I kind of remember him. Oh, Booker T. Wow, his dreads have gotten a little bit longer since I last <laughs> saw him. Or you know, that. And it was like you should have capitalized on it right away instead of, you know, waiting those months. And once again, like with Bret Hart, that fire had kind of burned out a little bit, you know, from what it was when WWE bought out WCW. Or can you imagine how cool it would have been if when Shane was talking to Vince from Panama City that we pan out and there's a WCW star in the ring that then destroys Vince, Vince to end Raw? Could you imagine oh. how cool that would have been? Yeah, and it would have set up your invasion storyline right away off the bat. And you it wouldn't have been so much Vince versus Shane. Yeah. And you could have had you could have had guys who were good and bad in WCW, good and bad for WWE, and good and bad for ECW, instead of just splitting everything down the war and having this mock civil war that you know didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. So I don't offer this is fantasy booking here and uh, you know, obviously Vince didn't want to spend the cash to get, you know, like you know, like Hall, Nash, Hogan, Goldberg, Stan, Flair, Scott Center over when you know they first bought out WCW. But 
I would have loved with at the end of WrestleMania 17 it being Stone Cold and Vince shaking hands. I would have loved seeing then Goldberg, you know, lights going out, lights coming back on, Goldberg being in the ring, spearing both or spearing Austin and Shane taking all events. Yeah, but it's one of those things where like some of these WCW guys that had never worked for Vince had such a negative perception, and it was kind of like the WCW brainwashing effect. And I've heard Diamond Dallas Page talk about it too. Because he had never worked for Vince until he got over there for the Invasion storyline. But, you know, people had come over from WWE that, you know, Vince had fired. So, you know, some of the guys that Vince had let go and fired and not just, you know, not Hall and Nash where they left because their contract was up. But, you know, guys who were promised certain things by Vince and then didn't deliver on it. So these younger, you know, some of these guys who had only been in WCW, you know, were kind of brainwashed to think Vince was evil and maniacal and his shows were all about smut and sex and all this other stuff. And, you know, there are some guys who have high moral fiber and didn't want to get involved in that. And so I think that was one of the other reasons why, you know, Vince didn't pony up the money. Even if he had pony up the money, some of these guys wouldn't have come right away just because they had such a negative impression of who Vince was. Yeah, that's true. And I think also, I think that is a two-way street, too. I think there was a lot, a lot of negative perception from what I've heard in the WWF locker room, too, that like, oh, how how do these guys come in, you know, and expect to be treated nicely? They need to earn their keep and pay their dues and all this other kind of crap. And, you know, they weren't going to let that happen either. Yeah, but the thing is, when you look at the guys that WWE brought over, whether it was the Radicals or Chris Jericho, they got a nice push the first right. the first couple weeks they were there. But every one of those guys ended up getting beat down and had to earn their spot back up. So if that was the impression that the locker room was giving out, then they actually did that because, you yeah. know, the Radicals appearing on Raw was one of my favorite moments because I love Saturn. I love Eddie, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko. And all four of them lost their first night on Raw. I mean, yeah. they all got their asses kicked. And it was kind of like one of those things where, like, yeah, welcome to the big league, son. But that – and I don't know. I think that's so wrongheaded. Like, they need to – for me, they they should be put over strong right away and be given a really, you know, long extended winning streak before you start doing that. And I don't know. I just think, like, especially if you're going to try to build, like, an invasion storyline, too, you know? Well, I'll use AJ Styles as an example. AJ Styles on, uh, I think it was on Chris Jericho's podcast, has said that one of the problems they had in TNA was whether it was Booker T, Kurt Angle, Rob Van Dam, you know, whatever guy from WWE they brought in, instantly that guy got a top spot and and won the TNA World Championship. And Styles, Styles said... It made it look like whatever WWE reject we got was still yep. better than anybody else on our roster. You know, so there has to be a fine line when you do that, when you bring somebody in, because you don't want that guy looking like he's absolutely 100% better than everybody you have, but you don't want to bury him either because it's hard to bring somebody back up once you've buried him so far down. Yep. That's a real, that's a exceptionally good point. I agree. I wonder if it would be different because the guys coming in from WCW for the most part weren't bigger stars. So it would be like more of a surprise than like, Oh yeah, obviously Rob Van Dam is better than AJ Styles or, you know, like instead of um, kind of like cementing, cementing a 
preconceived point, it would be kind of more of a surprise. But if you have here's thing, if you if you bring somebody in with name value, right, and you put and we're just using let's just keep using AJ Styles. Mm-hmm. If you bring Rob Van Dam in, right, and you say, okay, this guy's gonna wrestling AJ Styles, and AJ beats him the first time out. Yeah, it to make it looks like okay, our top guy is as good as anybody they have. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're the smaller company, WWE does it because you know we're the big leagues, we're we're yes. we're the NFL, we're not the USFL, we're the NFL here, you know. Your guy's not going to be our top guy right away. He's got to earn his way up to that spot. But if you're one of these smaller companies, you mm-hmm. know, like Connor's getting Alberto Del Rio. Yeah. If if you put Del Rio in the ring with Jay Briscoe for the Ring of Honor Championship, and Del Rio beats Jay Briscoe, mm-hmm. showing that WWE's guys that they didn't want anymore is right. still better than your guys. If Jay Briscoe beats Del Rio. It makes it look like, hey, our top guy is as good as anybody they have, right. and that gets more notice. Right. I I agree with you. I agree. I think the whole dynamic is with the, who's coming from where. Like, if you're coming from the larger company to the smaller company versus the smaller company to the larger company. Uh, we'll we'll be getting there here in a little bit, but before we do, what's your? Do you guys think think it would have worked out if? They would have kept WCW as a separate brand, either like TakeOver SmackDown or I don't know. I think they had WWF Access on Saturday nights for two hours, be like WWE talk show. Do you think it would have worked out if they would have gave WCW its own show, let, let them build all the WCW stars to the WWF audience and you know give them some new jobbers or enhancement talent to... Show the WWF fans who these WCW superstars are. See, that would have been one of my ideas. Was instead, but instead of renaming SmackDown WCW, whatever, just kill off that brand because that brand has such that that brand has such a negative perception at that time because of the bad booking at the end. Bring all those guys in and put them on SmackDown because casual fans are going to remember who they are. You know, they're going to remember that Booker T was on WCW. They're going to remember Shane Helms. They're going to remember. The Dudleys, they're gonna remember all these guys, you know. I mean, although the Dudleys were already there in WWE, but they're gonna remember that these guys worked in other places. Leave them on SmackDown because you had separate brands. The brands weren't supposed to cross over after they had that first draft. You know, leave them there, build them up, and then you know, make WrestleMania like your Super Bowl, like your World Series, where you have the best of this division versus the best of this division. You know, where we have our pseudo WCW champion with the gold belt facing the WWE world champion, you know, and do it that way. And I thought that would have created some intrigue, but to sit there and, and bring guys in and have them kind of get buried right away or make them look bad, it just kind of decreased their brand value going forward in this rivalry. Yep. Completely agree with you. Then do you guys feel like last storm was a f- good choice for the first invader? I think it was, I mean, it was the best of what they had. You know, I mean, Lance can put on a great match with anybody. His yeah. super kick looked vicious. I mean, he when he super kicked somebody, it was a. I mean, just it's up there with Shawn Michaels. His kicks were great, and he didn't have to talk that much. He's not a talker. He'd come in. He was like an assassin. He'd come in, hit his mark, and then get out and not have to say a word. And people were like, "Damn, that was pretty impressive." You know. He was a great soldier throughout the history of wrestling, whether it was in ECW, WCW. He was a great soldier. He could make anybody he was in the ring with look good. 
And that's kind of what the guy you want. You don't want a big name guy come out there and do it right away because you want to save your big artillery for later in the war. And do you guys feel like it was a laughing matter with Hugh Morris being the next guy? See, I think people give Hugh Morris a lot of crap. I loved Bill DeMott in the ring. I love the fact that here's this, here's this guy who's upwards of 300 pounds doing moonsaults. And I also like the fact that he was one of those guys that from when he first debuted to the end of his run in WCW constantly got better. He always evolved his character and got better. I'm glad it was Hugh Morris and not Huge Erection as the guy. <laughs> but, you know, to me, it's one of those things where, like, we have these guys who could either be top stars because Lance Storm was a top star in ECW and he was a, you know, an upper mid card guy in WCW. Hugh Morris was the same thing. He was an upper mid card guy. So you can either build them into big stars or they were perfect soldiers for the war. Then what's your thoughts on the GI brawl interfering in the three-way WWF title match at the King of the Ring? Um, I mean, once again, <clears throat> excuse me when you're setting up <clears throat> when you're setting up a battle when you're setting up a game plan for this you have to kind of do it in increments you know yeah if you look at the american civil war we didn't just line up and start shooting at the british we sneak attacked and that's the that's the thing about war you you surprise attack here and there and then that sets up everything going forward because if wcw guys had just come out and said hey we're here to take over you know, all the WWE guys would have united. The fact that the way they set it up in hitting here and hitting here, it made it look like they were personal attacks and not a business versus business attack. And that's kind of the way you want things to go when you're setting up a war. You don't want to completely unite your opponents. You want to make it make them be divisive. Yeah, and, and I think when they ended up, and I think we'll get to that, but when it ended up being like everybody versus everybody, I think they went too early, which is what you're talking about. And, and you're right that I, I don't know. I didn't like it when we ended up at the point where all WWE is good guy, all WCW is bad guy. And I think that was one of the, you know, missteps where it became everybody versus everybody. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, we might as well kind of continue on. But, yeah, I do agree with you, Beverly, that I felt like it did hurt that, yeah, that WC, the invasion was, the alliance was all bad guys and WWF was all good guys. Mm-hmm. But I guess this would be probably the best time to ask. I know we kind of touched about it a little bit. But do you feel like it hurt the alliance? Well, I guess ECW really didn't have that many big guys at the end. But do you think it hurt WCW that they didn't really have any of their Big stars during the invasion storyline, like oh, yeah, like I mean, Hogan or Holler Nash. I mean, yeah, because if you're doing an invasion storyline and you want to have the WWE versus WCW, you want all the guns in the fight. I mean, you want, you know, I mean, look at right now. We are still like two years out from Avengers three, you know, and people are already talking about the Marvel Civil War coming to the big screen because you're going to see Iron Man versus Captain America. You're going to see all these superheroes fight it out. And that's one thing I talk about with wrestling. Wrestling is real life superheroes. That's why we get invested in it. These are mythical figures in a lot of ways. You know, we want Goldberg versus Austin. We want, you know, Hogan and rock. We want all the big guns firing at one time. And it came out where like you have an army versus a militia. Yeah. You know, 
And it didn't make a lot of sense in the fact that, wow, you're really basically giving, you know, WWE's got all their guns ready to fight and you're arming WCW with slingshots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or you used used the war um, analogy earlier. In the Civil War, if the Confederacy didn't have, you know, uh, Lee or, you know, Jackson or any of the other ones, uh, it just wouldn't have made sense, right? It, they, that's what they did. They go to the first, they go to the biggest generals and, and they jump in. That's like if they went to the privates and said, you, all right, you guys are leading the charge. Wouldn't have made sense. And that's why I didn't think this made sense either. To me, what didn't make sense was WCW Monday Night Raw. What's your guys' thoughts on you know, the main event, the location being in Tacoma, Washington, and Booker T defending the WCW title against Buff Bagwell? Yeah, I mean, if they to me that it was a good idea because you're trying to give the WWE because there are there were there were people that were diehard WWE and their fans are diehard WCW. Not everybody flipped back and forth. That's a that's a misconception a lot of people have. But mm-hmm. I understood it in the fact that you're trying to get these new guys that you're hired that you just brought in some name recognition, give them some value, kind of increase their brand. But don't do it in Tacoma, Washington. Tacoma, Washington is not a hotbed of WCW wrestling. You wait till you get a show in Greensboro or Charlotte or in Atlanta or you know somewhere in WCW's kind of home base, and then you put that out there because the fans are going to go nuts seeing that. But then again, you also had Buff Bagwell in a main event of Raw, and I really to this day I kind of forget about that because. <laughs> he's a gigolo now. I mean, they did a gigolo. I mean, that's where his wrestling career is gone. He's a male escort, and yet he main evented a, a Monday Night Raw at one point in his life. Yep. And what's your guys' thoughts on the announcers for WCW Rock? Because what's it? I don't know. I'm confused. I know it's Arn Anderson. It wasn't um, Scott Hudson. Scott H- yeah, what's your guys' thoughts on Scott Hudson and Arn Anderson doing the play by play and color commentating? Did you accidentally call Scott Hudson Rock Hudson? I, I, I wanted to call him Mark Madden, but I know he wasn't Mark Madden. <laughs> I would love if Rock Hudson was the was the first commentator of WCW Nitro on Raw. That would be a, we would be talking entirely different. I feel. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Rock Hudson was dead by then. But if they had wheeled oh, yeah, his, he was long, long, long dead. But the corpse of Rock Hudson. His, if, they, if they wheeled his corpse out and were like put a microphone in front of him and said, "All right, you're going." He was like the zombie in ECW. Like that would have been pretty epic, but. You know, it's one of those things where, like, Vince is like, we need WCW announcers, but I don't want any of the guys that were actually there. Exactly. Hey, Arn, you work for them. Get out there on the mic. You know, and, hey, I think Scott Hudson's in the unemployment line. I was impressed that Vince knew who Scott Hudson was. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, but I kind of understood it. I mean, they're trying to give this little invasion thing a leg to stand on. And, you know, having WC. I mean, it's like, you know, you go back to uh, – the We LC match we had a few months back, and they had midget announcers. It was kind of the same premise of we're going to give this some act, we're going to try and make it look legitimate by making fun of it. And that's what they did by having Scott Hudson and Arn Anderson call WCW Monday Night Raw. Yep. Well, I, I think this is actually a good kind of encapsulation of like they're going halfway, but they aren't doing it 
you know, the whole way or whole, you know, the, the right way. Yeah. They're, they're doing a good step by putting out different announcers, you know, not just doing JR or whatever, but by choosing Arn Anderson and Scott Hudson and by choosing somebody like Buff Bagwell, even more so is showing that I, that they're not doing it, you know, full way. Right. I don't know. And the other thing was by using Buff Bagwell in the main event, and that was one of the guys. If you remember that first Monday Night Raw when he after he bought out WCW, and he's on there talking about some of the guys who he should keep and who he should get rid of. He made fun of Buff Bagwell. That was one <laughs> yep. of the guys he made fun of. But yet when they turn around and do a main event match, they put him in the main event. To me, it's like put Shane Helms in there. Put one of the younger guys that you're trying to build up, and then that way he gets that rub from Booker T, and he gets that main event spotlight. I mean, Buff was one of those guys that they knew they weren't going to keep that long, but you know, Buff accepted their buyout and came in and pissed off everybody in the locker room, surprisingly enough, as, as a guy who's actually ran into Buff in the locker room before. Um, you know, it's one of those things where like, you're using a guy that you know you're not going to keep. Use Lance Storm. At least Lance mm-hmm. Storm put on a great match with Booker T, and we'd be sitting here, you know, 13, 14 years later, remembering, you know what, that main event was really great, instead of making fun of it like we're kind of doing now. Right. It wasn't yeah. Good. Oh. Yeah, I, no, I just I wanted to add in that I agree that – they should have just, if if they weren't going to have those top, top, top stars, they should have just tried to create the very, very best match that they could and create a lasting impression that way. And by doing, you know, somebody like Buff Bagwell, they were trying to, you know, kind of have it both ways, like trying to get the a bigger star, but he wasn't a big enough star. And then also he's not, you know, that awesome, you know, the match wasn't that great. So you didn't really have it either way. I mean, I can't remember if Buff Bagwell ever got a shot at the WCW title when WCW was around. That's a good point. You know, and then yet you're giving him a main event shot against Booker T for the WCW title on Raw. I mean, that it didn't make sense because Buff was never booked that way. And that just kind of shows that although Vince and, and them were aware of WCW and what the talents were that were there, they didn't understand the booking of WCW. I mean, a lot of people didn't understand the booking of WCW at the end. But <laughs> yeah. to take a guy that we all know is a, is at best mid-card and put him in a main event to try and increase the brand value didn't make sense, especially a guy who was already kind of, you know, a little bit past his prime. He was kind of, he had already kind of peaked in WCW. You know, take one of the younger talents that you are convinced you're going to keep around and build that guy up. You know, much like, you know, you go back to the stuff that they're doing with Cesaro and Cena now or, you know, when they put some of these younger guys in a main event, it's like, wow, this guy can main event a show and the match come off believable. You do that with a Shane Helms and you've already built a new star out of that instead of using somebody who's you're going to get rid of in a couple months anyway. I guess you can say Buff wasn't the stuff that night. No, but if you you but um, Darcy, if you want to, you can pay twelve hundred bucks a night and find out how much stuff Buff has. Oh God, no thanks, Buff ain't my type. <laughs> but well, I, there are other people offered just a, a side way that you can go. Sunny, you can go. Terry Runnels, they're all offering too, my friend. No, I, I think I think I think, I think uh, the Dirty Dog is much more of a Scott Norton fan. <laughs> well, just say uh, with. Christmas coming up, there might be a sunnier days ahead. Oh, God. <laughs> but what's, what's your guys' thoughts and feelings about ECW being added to 
WCW and the alliance being formed? To me, I thought it was a desperate move. It was like they got WCW in and they were like, crap, we don't have enough guys. You know, we, we're having this war, and it's like 30 against 6. Hey, we got these ECW guys that we're not doing much with. Let's throw them in the mix well, and we'll make it a whole thing where everybody hated us because they all did. It, it was just, to me, it was kind of a desperate move. And then to throw Stephanie into the mix. Oh, God. The queen of part, extreme. Yeah, I'm like, the only thing about her that was extreme was her makeup back then. I mean, she made Cherry Martel blush. That's how bad it was back then. Yeah. You know, and then to have, and, and that's, to me, that was the biggest kill of the whole invasion thing was to have the spoiled, you know, Shane was, like we said, Shane was a guy that we all wanted to root for. And Stephanie, we all wanted to hate. Yeah. And to have those two team up made us all go, what the fuck? We're having, we're, we're having spoiled kids, spoiled brats mad at their dad. And it's, it was two kids with trust funds and time to kill against their dad who didn't love them enough. And it was just a horrible reason for a fight like this. It became about the two kids against their dad instead of these guys who maybe are underappreciated because they were on you know shows two and three going up against the main guys who get all the publicity. To me, that should have been the focus of the storyline, and it got shifted to spoiled kids versus spoiled dad. You know, talking about Stephanie, instead of, let, instead of letting the body sit the floor, why not have, let the boobies sit the floor? Oh, God. I still love, I, and I know you love this, when Jericho made fun of her breast job. I mean, that was one of my, my, one of my favorite promos, and I know you love it because you're such a Jericho mark, but it was just the best thing. And, like, and I, it was funny because people talk about that one. I remember when Sean and Triple H did that about China. And they're like, you know, there's something really different about you. And they would just like focus on her boob. You know, that's the same thing Jericho did with Stephanie. It was just it was great TV for back then. So I know one of the key components about the alliance was Stone Cold Steve Austin being heel. And what's your guys' thoughts about Stone Cold turning heel at WrestleMania? I didn't mind him turning heel because to me it's evolution. Every yes. Top star has to do that. And that's one of the problems that <laughs> and if Jeff listens to this show, he's going to kill me because that one, one of the rules I, I, that I came up with the other day was I was never going to reference John Cena turning heel ever again because he's already blown the best chances he's had of him turning heel. Oh, God. But, times. You know, but like to have like I, you know, like I came up with the idea not too long ago that they should have had John Cena join uh, the authority and have him, Randy Orton and Sheamus be like the new version of the NWO, but in the authority. And it didn't happen. But, you know, you look at Hogan, you look at Flair, you look at all the greats of all time. They've all gone back and forth. And Stone Cold has such a long run as a good guy. It was natural for him to turn heel because you had the rock there who was so hot and was making so much money. He had to have a top adversary and Stone Cold was the most logical choice. And plus he had the background of having been in both WCW and ECW. The only thing I didn't like was they made him a comic book, like a comedy about himself. Instead of letting him still be a badass, they made a mockery of him. And that kind of killed off the momentum that he had had leading up to that turn. Beverly, what's your thoughts? I, I completely agree. I think the heel turn itself was good. I think it, there could have been some legs there. 
Um, joining the alliance was okay. I think it it would have been interesting if he would have been a heel unto himself, kind of just like kind of like a lone dog character um, through like the whole kind of gist of the storyline. Um, but I completely agree that his character was just became ridiculous. And I, to the point where, you know, if from 2000 to 2001, he went from my very favorite wrestler to my least favorite and not for the ways that it's supposed to be. <laughs> it was the turn the channel, not the, I want to pay to see you get beat up. Well, so you had the Xbox heat in your opinion. Yeah. Oh, for me. Yeah. I, when the whole what thing started, what? I start, I, I would just turn away from it because I just hated it. And also, I, I blame Deborah. Like, Deborah kind of ruined Stone Cold's character because, you know, and I've, we talked about before, like on, uh, on other shows, where I hate when the good guy has to bring in his, his real life wife or real life girlfriend around him because it kind of devalues the character. You think of like Daniel Bryan and Bree with Kane. Yeah. Bree ruined that whole angle because I don't want Daniel Bryan wussing out because his wife's in danger. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Superman, you know, fighting a bad guy for no reason other than the guy threatened his wife. You know, we're supposed to suspend disbelief here. This is mono imano or woman against woman, not the stuff that went on. And then when Deborah was with Stone Cold, it was like, wow, those two are together. Like I remember she was all over Mongo two years ago. And now I got to see her all over Stone Cold it just showed that, okay, she's a legitimate gold digger. I mean, she worked her way up from Mongo McMichael up to Jeff Jarrett to Stone Cold. You know, she went from the bottom of the house to the top of the house in just a matter of like three or four years. Like, she was the epitome of sleeping your way to the top. Right. I do feel like Stone Cold is a hell of a lot better than Mongo. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I th- I think Mongo might have sold one shirt in his life where Stone Cold sold like a million. So if that, if, if that, that's probably a low estimate. <laughs> yeah. What's your guys' thoughts on the Invasion pay-per-view, I think, in July of 2001? I'll, I'll let uh, Mr. Beverly Hills go first because, honestly, I don't really remember that much about it. You guys got to refresh <laughs> my memory here a little bit. Okay, well, the, the headline match that you know was, was the big thing was very similar to the Survivor Series match. It was a, let me count. Ten-man tag. Yeah, ten-man tag, just not elimination. It was uh, Booker T, DDP, Rhino, and the Dudley Boys against Austin, Angle, Jericho, Undertaker, and Kane, and that's when Austin turned and joined the Alliance. Am I I right? Let's just look 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 at that on paper. Just look at who's in that match, and you look at it and go, this is really the best of WWE versus the best that WCW and East... I mean, Rhino is yeah. in a main event. <laughs> you know? It's like, really? Rhino's in the main event? It just boggled my mind to see that as a main event, because I'm going... On paper, Team WWE should kill Team WCW. Yeah. I mean... You have Undertaker and Austin and Angle and Jared like on the same team. Right. Those four guys, I mean, you don't even need a fifth guy. Those four alone should kill what WCW is offering up. You know, unless it's a hardcore match, it's the only way the Dudley Boys could be relevant in that match as well. And so, like, that's why to me they had to turn Austin. They eventually had to turn Angle yeah. because they had to even the playing field 
you know, because on paper that right that that right there is completely one sided. The the Dudley the inclusion of the Dudley boys made me think of this point, which I actually wanted to raise earlier. But um, I thought one of the problems with the ECW being included was that a lot of the guys who became part of Team ECW or whatever were already part of WWF. They had already you know, made made that jump between the time that. ECW closed and the or toward the end of ECW whatever and the time that the alliance formed so like you have the Dudley boys for instance who you know were at the top of the tag division but all of a sudden you're supposed to take them from being the top of the tag division to now being like main event players and they weren't main event players you know at the time right so and and they were WWF guys you know they had been there for upwards of six months or more, you know, in their case, almost a year, right? So it's tough to take them seriously as newcomers or invaders or whatever. I don't See, and, what they sh- and part of the problem was you had Stephanie and Shane as the mouthpieces, and the guys weren't really talking for themselves. I mean, if you have Taz and the Dudleys and RBD and all those guys come out and they're like, we're, we're, we're siding with this side because – you know, Vince has held us down. You know, Vince has not done everything he promised or, you know, we're, we're, we only came to WWE because the paychecks were bigger. But now that we actually have a fighting chance to be back on our home turf with the people that we love and care about, that's why we're doing this. Instead, you just had Vince and, or Shane and Stephanie being the mouthpieces. Nobody knew why. These guys were going and siding with ECW or WCW because you just had Shane and Stephanie talking. You didn't have them, you know, speaking from the heart and that's what we love. We love when a wrestler comes out, tells a story, explains why he's doing what he's doing because it makes it much more impactful emotionally to us. That would have been, that would have made it so much better and so different. I can't agree more. If they would have said that, that piece that you said where they were just collecting it because they wanted more money because that, uh, not only does it make them heels like to the fans, right? Cause we all hate people who are just looking for a buck. And it also gives an explanation of why they left and why they were in WWF for, uh, you know, six months to a year. I thought that would have been great right there. Something that I dropped my money on was one of the main event matches on the innovation pay-per-view was a take team brawn panties match. <laughs> It was the popcorn match. Come on, man. It was just it was between the Rob Van Dam at uh Jeff Hardy match and the and the final there, the main event. So you dropped your you say you dropped your money or you dropped your pants? Both. Okay. Oh, oh, oh Lord. <laughs> and also another match on the Invasion pay-per-view was Earl Hebner defeating Nick Patrick. Oh god, that match so bad. I mean, as expected, right? Yeah. But I just watched the Invasion pay-per-view as like prep like about a week ago and oh my god that match they're just they're it's worse than a brawn panties match they're just like pushing each other back and forth and uh it's just awful if they had sat there and just done like like um like referee moves you know like you point the other guy does he submit no you know kind of like, like a dance off but they had a ref off oh that would have been awesome there, that would there's there's like two stunt wrestlers and whoever can count the pin better, whoever yeah, throws yeah. out the, it's like a skills competition. I mean, I mean, I mean think like the NBA all-star game, they always have like the dunk contest and the skills competition. They could have done that yes. with Hebner and Patrick and everyone loved it. 
Super missed opportunity. Who would throw out the manager first? Who spots the uh, interference first? Oh, so it would have been so better. Who checks the boots before the match? The best. Yeah. <laughs> I know on a podcast we did talk a lot about Earl Hebner being the WWF referee for a lot of screw jobs with, you know, the Montreal screw job and the main event screw job with Hogan and Andre. But you can't forget about Nick Patrick dropping the ball off Dark K97. Well, and well, also it's because, because, you know, he was the one who was being paid off by the NWO, where Hebner was screwing people because he was incompetent. You know, Patrick at least had a reason he was doing it. Yeah. I don't know. Patrick, I think, Pat, sorry, I think Patrick really comes across as a, he plays a good heel, uh, better than like we've seen Hebner and TNA try to do it. I really liked, uh, in the past, I think Patrick comes across as a better heel ref, if you will. Then we might as well talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that led up to the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Since I really don't feel like that much great stuff has happened between Invasion 2001 and Survivor Series 2001. I guess, what's your guys' thoughts on guys like... The Rock and Kurt Angle winning the WCW title from Booker T. And what's your guys' thoughts on the little few that Jericho had with The Rock for the WCW title? You know, to me, even now, I mean, here we are in 2014, almost 2015. And I hate when they say, you know, Rock was a former WCW champion. Like, no, he wasn't. He did not. He never wrestled in WCW. Like that whole stuff there with passing around the the, the WCW title from Rock to Angle, you know, to to this day, that bothers me because those weren't WCW guys, and it's they literally did it just to put that on Rock's resume, on Angle's resume, and say, oh yeah, he was a former WCW champion. No, he wasn't. He never beat Ric Flair. He never beat Sting. He never beat Goldberger Hogan. You know, for that belt, it was. It's all just. To pad a resume, and I to this day it just drives me bananas when they reference that. Well, it's it's just so forced, like you said. It's just it's all just really pigeonholed. Like, uh, oh well, Rock want, needs the WCW belt. Let's get it on him, uh, and you know, Angle too. And it just doesn't have any authenticity. Yeah, because I totally agree with you guys that. You know, since it's under the WWE umbrella, doesn't really mean that they're the WCW champion. You know, kind of with when they brought the ECW brand back as a third brand in 2006, you know, guys like the Big Show or CM Punk or even Mr. McMahon winning the ECW title, it's kind of hard to consider them an official, official ECW champion. ECW champion. Sorry, um, <laughs> okay. sorry. I had the, my, one of my guys is calling was calling me about our, our show we're doing today. But you know, to me, the whole thing with uh, you know, the ECW brand is a little bit different because at least they just kept certain guys in that group. Like ECW was its own promotion within WWE. Like you only those guys didn't really go out on Raw or on SmackDown and wrestle on those shows. They pretty much just stayed right there in that little ECW cupboard. So I have a little bit less problem with that than I did the stuff with WCW because 
those guys were constantly competing against other guys within their promote, you know, within the company. So, you know, Rock getting to be being the East or the WCW champion to me was a farce because, you know, it was all those guys were there, but it was still the WWE umbrella. It was all part of a storyline. At least when they brought back the ECW title, they actually made a new championship. I mean, the, that black and silver belt, which I actually still like. You know, it was it was a chance for younger guys to work their way up to establish themselves, much like what ECW was in the past, where the WCW brand in WWE was a complete sham and facade. Now, I guess we might as well talk about Survivor Series 2001, with the main event being representing the Alliance, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, and Shig McMahon versus the Team WWF, if I see if I can remember this correctly, Big Show, Jericho, Kane, Undertaker, and The Rock. Yep. What's your What's your guys' thoughts on that main event? Uh, well, I can. I want to talk about the whole thing a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I just uh, felt like you could see, you could telegraph it really well. Where's it? Where it's going? Because they had the whole. Well, if you win the title, well, then you're in. So you have, you know, the Dudley boys win the tag titles, so they get to stay. Um, You know, you have Christian win, so he gets to stay. So it's pretty telegraphed by the end who's going to pull it out there. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think we should what we should really talk about is like the makeup of the alliance team and who these are supposed to be the WCW ECW representatives and the only real WCW ECW representatives are just pretty much just Van Dam and Booker T because those other three I don't know if you can really call it that yeah because I know Kurt Angle you know when he was flirty with joining up professional wrestling he did make an appearance in ECW that was that he did request to get stricken off that TV episode because that would have been the ECW episode where I think Tommy Dreamer got crucified on a... Sandman. Sandman, yeah. So, you know, Kurt Angle wasn't ever tied in with ECW or WCW and people don't... WWF fans didn't remember Stone Cold ever being a WCW star or ECW star. See, I did, and then again, but I'm old, and I remember, and I have this really stupid memory about crap like that. Like I remember Kevin Nash as Oz and the Master Blaster and Vinny Vegas, but that's just me because I'm a nerd. But I really hate when we do storylines and they have to put a stipulation on a match to make it interesting, but you can tell what it's going to be. Much like just we, we talked about TLC beginning the show, John Cena. If you lose this match, you're not the number one contender. Well, that just tells me Cena's going to win because. Who else are they going to put in the ring with Brock Lesnar right now that makes sense? Right. And when you have those one-sided gimmicks, it kind of gives away the ending. It's a spoiler for this match. It's like, there's no way they're not going to keep the Dudley boys, you know? Yeah. They had invested so much in building up Christian, they're not going to get rid of Christian now. <laughs> right. To me, it would have been better if these guys had lost and then came back around a couple months later and snuck their way in. That would have made more sense, but... To sit there and say, okay, if you, you win and you're in, was kind of giving away the ending to the match. Yep. Yeah, because especially a really good example is the Christian one. Who's Who are they going to keep? Christian, who they've spent the last year building up with the turn from Edge and all that, or Al Snow, who hasn't wrestled a single match in the last 
how many months because he's been on Tough Enough. You, the, that couldn't be more telegraphed, you know? The only thing I want to say to that is it all depends on what everybody wants. God, yeah. All right, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Jeez. <laughs> I guess, yeah, what's your guys' thoughts on weeks before Kurt Angle jumping, you know, turning the heel and jumping to Team Alliance and in the main event swerving us again and costing the Alliance the victory and jumping back to the Team WWF? I mean, on one hand, I can sit there and say it made sense because up until that point, he had kind of been, you know, Stone Cold's lackey. I still remember the whole thing with him singing Kumbaya, you know, (laughs) stuff. I mean, it was so bad. And at that point, you'd made Kurt Angle, once again, a mockery of who he was. I mean, you had to do something to kind of reinvigorate his character, so it made sense. But, you know, the jumping back and forth from side to side, I mean, if I'm in a war, if I'm in a battle for my company, you know, all right, this guy left me once. Now he wants back. I'm supposed to, am I supposed to just trust him and say, hey, we're putting you in the main event because I trust you that much because you just left them because they're a sinking ship and you're jumping back to me? Like, it didn't make sense that I would trust that guy to put him in a main event because who's going to say he's not just doing it to screw me over? But that's wrestling, and that's why we love it because we suspend disbelief when we're watching it. Yep. And we may as well kind of do a more fantasy book into, to lead us to the end of the podcast. If you guys could rebook the invasion, what would you guys do differently? Uh, well, me personally, for one, okay, are we saying can, can I get everybody I want? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, if I can get everybody. I think that's always the first step is, is if you can do that. If I can get everybody I want, for one, I don't put Shane, like, in the forefront. I don't put Stephanie in the forefront because, to me – that just made me want to hate WCW and ECW. And the problem with that is we all hate Vince. Even when Vince is a good guy, we still want to hate him. Even when he was trying to start the union, I couldn't buy because I wanted to hate Vince. And when you're doing a battle like this, you want guys on both sides that you can like and hate. You don't want to universally hate one side because you're told to and universally like one side because you're told to. So to me, I sit there and do still do the invasion angle. I come out and just, you know, gradually kind of incorporate some of the younger guys. Some of the guys who are lesser knowns. You know, your Shane Helms, your um, Shannon Moore, you know, some of these other younger guys that were in WCW, some of the crews, Billy Kidman, you know, bring those guys over, let them kind of be the energy to open the show. Let them be like my cruiserweight match that gets the, the, the crowd fired up. You know, and I, and I run that for the first month. And then, you know, I take, okay, who's my most hated guy? Let's say that right now, because I, I can't remember who was heel at the time and who was face, but let's say Rock's, or Rock's, a, uh, Rock's a bad guy, Austin's a good guy. Well, I have the best bad guy I have in, in WCW, which is, at the time, Hulk Hogan. I have Hulk Hogan come out and cost Stone Cold the belt. You know, I have Hall and Nash come out and somehow win the tag belts. You know, I just... You want to have all your guns firing right away. You want to come out. If you want to do an invasion, yeah, we'll plant a couple of guys in your company to start things off. But when we hit you, we're going to hit you with everything we have. Much like uh, the Nexus. When the Nexus debuted, they came out and destroyed everything. That's what I want WCW and ECW to do. Come out and just destroy everything 
because then it paints the WWE as the underdogs. And it gives you a reason to cheer for WWE and Vince against this army that just came in and whitewashed everybody. And then you can kind of play going forward, going down the road. For one, next thing I do, I don't make Diamond Dallas Page a bad guy. He was not a good in WCW. So you put guys in the position of their strengths. You know, Goldberg, Goldberg, Sting, Diamond Dallas Page, I lined those guys up with Austin and with Undertaker as your good guys. You know, put the NWO. I mean, could you imagine Hogan and Rock in the NWO cutting promos on WWE? That would have been awesome. Those two guys can cut a promo with the best of them. You know, and just build it that way. Take my good guys and put them on one side, my bad guys on the other, and do a civil war that way. And this would have been much better, you know, going forward after you have the initial rush of all the WCW guys coming in. I know for me, I, if I could have had everybody who I wanted in, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I would have had Goldberg, Hall Nash, Hogan, Eric Bischoff come in at WrestleMania 17. Make an impact, you know, jump started there. How and I would drag this all the way to WrestleMania 18 and have WrestleMania 18 be the the super card and have the alliance end there, you know, because you had Rock and Hogan there, you had you know, Austin and Scott Hall. So, you know, I would have draw, you know, Edge and Booker T, I would have brought it, I would have had everything end at WrestleMania 18 instead of. Instead of Survivor Series. By the way, on a side note, Edge Booker T. That was the worst reason for a match in WrestleMania history. <laughs> the shampoo commercial. The shampoo commercial. That was like the worst. And the funny thing is, here it is. You know what? Fourteen years later, I use that in announcing now. Like I will reference a guy having great hair and doing a Perk Plus commercial to get that guy over, <laughs> that guy more hated. So I steal that. In my in my professional <laughs> life now, but to have that be a reason for a WrestleMania match is ridiculous. Yes, I agree. Well, yeah, probably the worst. It'd be worse than if they were just standing in the locker room and they were just like, "Hey, want to fight?" And then they go out. I gotta well, think the shampoo commercials worse. I will say Jericho and Kane over a spilt cup of coffee was pretty bad too. <laughs> Kane was being tired, being burnt. So what do you expect? Oh God. They should have done that with Kane. Just done like the whole. I don't know if you guys ever watched Saturday Night Live, but they used to do the whole thing with Phil Hartman as Frankenstein, and he would just get freaked out by fire. He's the fire (laughs) bad, and he. They should have had Kane do that for a while, and just like anytime somebody like little, you know, put a lighter out, you know, (laughs) fire bad and run, you know. Every funny. Every that's that's like his trigger when he freaks out and he starts like kicking everybody's asses when he sees the flame. What we're talking about, like wrestlers are superheroes, and every you know Superman's got kryptonite. Everybody's got one thing that you know, is their weakness. Just anytime Kane saw fire, let him flip out. I'm just imagining <laughs> him, you know, doing his, raising his arms, you know, at you know when he first comes over at the end and his the py- corner pyro going off, and seeing him freak out and run off then. Or like have him do a Burger King commercial when they flame grill a Whopper and have him freak out and just destroy a Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> Beverly, how would you rebook the invasion? Um, you know, I think a big, big step, as we say, was uh, um, having the stars. I think uh, my first step would be involving Flair somehow. 
I think as being a, a person who's at least talking a lot, you know, maybe, I don't know, he's the reason why they're there or, or whatever. He can cut a lot of the promos. Um, I think if you position him on top and, and then if you add to it, what captain was talking about with, um, the younger, more athletic wrestlers, uh, Lance Storm, Billy Kidman, um, Helms, Moore, Jimmy Yang, those, those folks. I think if you have somebody like Flair on top, uh, giving them a reason why they're there would be better. Um, I think Steiner could have been used if he would have been brought in because he was such you know, loose cannon, just a crazy uh, individual. I think he could have kind of done a lot um, taking out the rock or taking out um, angle. Can you imagine them trying to suplex each other around that'll, the ring? That'll be an awesome match. Yeah. If, if Steiner's willing to play ball, I guess, but yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. And then just kind of go from there. I just think um, letting them win some, lose some, just kind of have, normal feuds as they go uh, instead of trying to just uh, seem seem to get buried the whole way. So, yeah. And, and, and just give SmackDown to the WCW guys. Yeah. Give them their own show. And like, like, like Darcy was saying, you know, build them up so that way when you get to the next WrestleMania, you can have that Super Bowl. You can have that, okay – Either we're going to be a WWE company or we're going to be a WCW company. Right. You know, we're going to our top guys that we've built up on SmackDown over the last year, put them against the top guys that Raw has, and whoever comes out on top, that's who's running it. And let, like you said, let Flair be the general. Let Flair be the face of WCW. And that way, you know, we end up having that when we had the draft and Flair became the GM of Raw. But have it be Flair versus McMahon, you know, from the beginning all the way through that WrestleMania. And if you know, if the WCW guys win, then Flair and WCW take over WWE. And if Vince yep. and WWE win, Vince runs the company. You know, and that way you can have Shane and Stephanie still be involved, but on the WWE side, let you know, have have it become out where you know Flair and his investors bought out Shane, which they did at the end of the alliance. But let Flair get some rich people to, to buy out Shane and Stephanie. He owns WCW and ECW. Vince owns WWE. You know, we're buying out this time slot. That's why our guys are going to be on SmackDown. You can have your guys on Raw. And, you know, come WrestleMania 18, you know, our guys versus your guys, winner take all, and do it that way. And then that way would have had the WrestleMania that we always wanted, where we could have had Goldberg versus Austin, Hogan versus Rock, you know, the Outsiders versus, you know, whatever best tag team WWE could put together time, you know. That would have been my choice. Yeah. And do it that way, and then we would have had the WrestleMania that we all wanted, and never really got to see come to fruition. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know. Uh, I did put out uh, some, uh, I guess, a feeler on Twitter when I got done with work last night. But if there's any questions on Twitter, people to send them in. And we got one from ja- Jackson Harold at Jackson Her- Harold, and he was wondering, what? Why do we think the invasion storyline burned out so quickly? I think a lot of it was we couldn't get the guys that we wanted in. I mean, you can only do Rock versus Booker T so many times before people get sick of it. You know, you didn't have the big guns, you know, and it's kind of hard to drag something out a year 
when you're having to use WWE guys that have no affiliation really with WCW and ECW and flip them back and forth. You know, that was a big thing to me was, you know, it's like, yeah, like I remember Austin being an ECW and I remember Austin being stunning Steve Austin, part of the Hollywood Blondes. I remember Austin in world class championship wrestling. But that's me. That's not the nine year old who's tuning in to watch Austin fight somebody or watch The Rock fight somebody. They don't have that knowledge. So without having all of your big name guys, even your middle, I mean, you didn't even have Lex Luger. I mean, <laughs> that's, and that was a guy who five years earlier was in your company, you know, wrestling for the world championship. You know, I mean, people, I mean, Jeff Peck still references the Lex Express and the, and, you know, slamming Yokozuna on the aircraft carrier, you know, and you didn't even him. So without having your big guns, it's kind of hard to do a long story. It's it's kind of like, if like like you said earlier with the, with the Civil War in America, if you didn't have Stonewall Jackson and General Lee, you know th- that Civil War wouldn't have lasted nearly as long. If if you're looking at comic books, you know if you don't have if you have the Avengers and you have Iron Man and then you know a bunch of like C list superheroes, nobody's going to be spending top money to see that. And that's what we end up having in WCW. We had one. Booker T was a B plus player at that time when WCW got bought out. Yeah. So you had one B plus guy and a bunch of also rands. And that's what killed the invasion angle. Yeah, actually, I totally agree with you, Captain, that I feel like the invasion storyline burnt out so quickly because we didn't have we didn't have the main eventers from WCW come over because they wanted to wait out their contract with AOL Time Warner. You know, if we could have got the Scott Steiners, the Hulk Hogan's, the Ric Flair's, you know, Kevin Nash's, the Goldberg's. I felt like this could have went on to, you know, WrestleMania 18, if not longer. And if they would have I mean, gave, like you said, Captain, if they would have gave SmackDown over to WCW, that could have, that could have, you know, even burn it up, you know, burn it out even longer, you know, past WrestleMania 18 and maybe, maybe even into WrestleMania 19. I mean, if you, if I mean, I mean, like for one, you had Booker T, who was like we said was, was a B plus player, Diamond Dallas Page, who as a WCW fan, WCW people loved Diamond Dallas Page. He was the ultimate blue collar underdog. You know, people compared always compared Goldberg and Austin. I always compared Diamond Dallas Page and Stone Cold. You had similar finishers, both blue collar guys, half the time working in jeans and t shirts. I mean, those guys were such parallels of each other, but yet you make. Diamond House Page into a creepy stalker of the Undertaker's wife. It's like, dude, I just saw him. On, it's like, dude, I just saw him on WCW. He was banging a Nitro girl. Why does he <laughs> want Sarah? You know, it didn't make sense. And then, you know, to me, one of the most underrated guys was Chris Canyon. I loved Chris Canyon. I thought WWE did a good job in the beginning of building him up, but then just it just fell flat. And I don't know if it was backstage stuff or politics or what, but. I mean, Canyon was a great worker and got better on the mic, you know, over the years. I mean, Canyon could have been one of those upper upper mid card guys for years, and after that invasion angle kind of fell apart, you know, all these guys that they had just spent, you know, four, five, six months building up, it all just washed away into nothingness, and then they were all jobbing out, and you couldn't take them seriously anymore. For sure, for sure. Before we do plugs, Captain, you know, like. Like you guys do on the Still Real Duo show, and like I had you do last time you were on the podcast, do you have any closing comments? 
Uh, well, just this one, and it's because it's the holiday season, it's the Christmas season. I tell people all the time, you know, we talk about spending time with your family around the holidays. Well, family does not necessarily mean blood-related. It's anybody that you know that if you got into a fight, they would have your back. They, they're your people, whether it's a friend, whether it's a coworker, or whether it actually is blood-related. The people that you rely on, the people that you trust the most, those are the people that you should be spending your holidays with. So as you get into the end of this year, into the beginning of the new year, just focus on who the people are in your life that you can trust the most and make them have the best holiday possible. And then in turn, you'll have the best holiday possible as well. Then, Captain, I know you were talking to us, you know, on the air and off air about the show that you're going to tonight. Tell us more about it. Well, tonight I'm actually working a show, Mississippi, for EPW. Uh, it's Extreme Pro Wrestling. Uh, you can find them on Facebook. Uh, you can also go to the Steel Realta Show page, and there's a link on there for the NGW page for the other uh, company here that I do announcing for. Uh, you can get on there and see all the pictures from all the wrestlers. We just did a great Christmas show. We actually had Santa Claus show up. Um, great time. Uh, so be sure to check those out. Also, check out flatlineradio.com if you like rock music and you're a fan of horror movies or haunted houses. We do a whole thing for that as well, flatlineradio.com. And if you like me on here, uh, just add me on Facebook, Captain Obvious 3D. Uh, I'm sure uh, Darcy is you know a big fan of mine, so... He, he stalks me religiously. Why else would I have you on the podcast for a second time, Captain? <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I'm, I'm amazing and I'm beautiful. That's why. And I really dig your beard. Everybody does. That's actually one of my gimmicks also in uh, EPW is uh, I'll be at the announce table calling the show and I'm combing my beard the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to follow you on Twitter, how can they do so? You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Captain OMG, or you can actually follow me also on Instagram, uh, the Captain's Beard, all one word. So that way you can see pictures of my beard and see pictures of me as I travel around the country doing indie wrestling. And then I'm probably going back on the road in January as well. I know you talked about this off and on, but can you tell us about the Still Real Lewis show? Still Real Lewis show, uh, Jeff's tagline for it is We're two guys not in our mom's basement talking about wrestling from a, pan- a fan's perspective. Uh, right now, we're in our holiday season, so I think coming up um, next week, we're doing our uh, year-in-review show. Then the 1st of January, we'll be having uh, our bold prediction show, so be sure to check it out. You can go on iTunes, just type in The Steel Realta Show, or you can find us on Facebook, The Steel Realta Show, all one word. Uh, and then if you go on there, you can submit questions, and we'll answer them on the air as well, as we have with Mr. Darcy's questions that he used to send in all the time, but he's forgotten about us and doesn't send us questions anymore the reason why i quit sending you guys questions is since you guys don't do the podcast out of your mother's basement we are doing this podcast in my mother's spare bedroom oh i'm not so i, <laughs> I, I am don't worry about that man but i think so, that, uh, that what, might... so what you think we're too good for you now or something we still take questions we we had a guy give us a question not too long ago that was from like like pakistan or something like he was from way far off and i was like wow I'm afraid that you guys might make me do do another cover of a Justin Bieber song. (laughs) Hey, you brought that on yourself, my friend. What's in the past stays in the past. All I know is that I thought it was was great. Better than the original. What happens on podcast stays on podcast. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, we want to thank you, Ketchup, for coming on. And listeners, we'll be right back. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. 
against man. Power, strength, it's art, painted with rage, and it's 100% live. Watch WCW Monday Nitro every Monday night at 8, exclusively on TNT. Tom Steimer's Truck Center, Bradenton, Florida, all over the world, people are talking about one thing. Tom Steimer's trucks, 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 all over the world. Dusty, you hear it, you wrestle all over the world. You know, a lot of people say, when you do them commercial with Tom Steimer's, his trucks, number one in Bradenton, Florida, is anybody watching? There must be 15,000 people behind them cameras right here today watching this program. Because Tom Steimer's is number one in trucks, is number one in cars, is number one with Dusty Rhodes. I like to enjoy the finer things in life. And I'm definitely the stuff. I've got my WCW MasterCard. <laughs> Get the official WCW MasterCard. To apply for yours today, just call 1-800-532-WCW2. Featuring new designs, great rates, and all the benefits that go along with it. Get it? <laughs> yes! To apply for yours, just call 1-800-532-WCW2 right now. And welcome back to the thrilling conclusion of Main Event Status Radio, the Invasion Special Cast. Uh, we want to thank Captain Obvious profusely for being here. Uh, added a lot, a lot to the show. I agree, and I hope you guys enjoyed Captain giving me a little bit of crap about me doing a cover of, of Justin Bieber's son to get on his podcast a couple years ago, talking... <laughs> Coincidentally enough, the evasion storyline. Oh, very good. I remember that. You you sent it to me or something saying, hey, here, want to hear me singing uh, yes. Justin Bieber? <laughs> I think it so might be up on YouTube. So if you guys actually want to, I think you can search out Eric Darcy, boyfriend, or something along those lines. I think if it's still there, I think if it's still there, we should finish this uh, podcast with you singing it. I'll um, see what we can do better. If, I think if it's still up, I think that's what sends us out here. Okay. Well, okay well, I'll, <laughs> I'll talk to the producer. We'll see what happens. Better. All right. Well, I'm, so, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot there, but that's what I would like to see. Okay. Then, obviously, you know, this is the end of the show, so you can listen to us on our website, maineventstatus.com. That's all one word, maineventstatus.com. .com. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash main event status radio. That's all one word. Soundcloud.com backslash main event status radio. And subscribe to our new link on our, our new feed on on iTunes. You know, search us out, main event status radio. Do the new, uh, subscribe to the new podcast is with, uh, you know, our, our logo and a bunch of different wrestling pictures and all that with Hulk Hogan to the double ear. Uh, clap. Tony Giovanni's even on it. So, so you know, subscribe to that one. Like us, review us, you know, all that. Help us move up the iTunes rankings for we can be tied up with the Still Real to Us show. And if we can finally beat the Ross Report, because Jim Ross likes to sass it, he likes to sass it. <laughs> they can, they can listen, uh, like us on Facebook. Be facebook.com backslash main event status radio. That's all one word. Like us there, talk to us there. Before we do our plugs for on Twitter, also you know listen, you know follow Captain on Instagram, the, the Captain's Beard. Like <laughs> uh, Adam on Adam has a friend on Facebook. You know cap, back Facebook dot com backslash uh, was it Captain OMG? Yeah, cap, yeah, Captain OMG. You know that's the same thing on Twitter. Beverly, how can we follow you on Twitter? Um, at 
Uh, Beverly Hills MES is where you can find me on Twitter. And for me, it's at Dirty Dog MES. That's Doggin, as in D-A-W-G, at Dirty Dog MES. And since I asked this to Captain Beverly, do you have any closing comments? Um, everyone have a safe and happy holidays. I really, I really like that comment that Captain said about finding the people who have your back. You know, that's maybe, I mean, I'm just planting some seeds. Why maybe next week you might hear me with someone who would have my back over the holidays. Are you saying, Gorilla, that you're going off the grid with Jesse Ventura? <laughs> oh, no, sir. Oh, no, no, no. Should I say it? Should I put should I put it out there? Are you saying that you're going on the grid with Jesse Ventura? No, I'm saying that next week here on Main Event Status Radio, you will see or hear me, Mr. Beverly Hills, in studio. In studio. With the dirty dog Darcy. Brother. Yes, next I'm so week, excited. I'm so podcast, excited. Our next podcast. You'll hear, just like last week with Daddy Sunshine, my older brother, live in studio. We were testing it out. Next week, just like the Still Real Duo show, we'll do a 2014 year interview talking about profession, the current professional wrestling. Uh, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be able to slap you five. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry about that, people. And you'll also hear Beverly Hills and I drinking a lot of soda and possibly eating a lot of pizza. <laughs> hey, uh, I think we're going to take you to the House of Pizza, just by the way. We can talk about that more off-air, Beverly Hills. <laughs> well, well, I just we, wanted to say, you know, if you want to find us. <laughs> you can t- yeah, you can find us at the House of Pizza in St. Cloud, Minnesota. <laughs> we might be recording the podcast live at the House of Pizza, by the way. Oh, my God. Well, then you'd have a Mrs. Beverly Hills sighting, too. Uh-oh. That'll be, that'll be fun. <laughs> All right, man. Before we go, Beverly, I am happy you're back. Last two weeks was fun with Dean Stahl and Daddy Sunshine, but I am happy my broadcast partner is back, Jack. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. Uh, Oh, it's been a crazy couple weeks because the end of the semester at school, but now I have two weeks off and I get to enjoy a little bit of it in studio with my man, the Dirty Dog. For Mr. Beverly Hills, for Captain Obvious, This is a Dirty Dog Darcy. We'll talk to you guys next time on Main Event Status Radio. Good night, sweet Sammy. If I was your boyfriend, I'd never let you go. I can take you places you've never been before. Baby, take a chance, you'll never ever know. I got money in my hands, so I'll already let the blow sweat, sweat, sweat on you. Tell by the pharaoh eating fondue. I don't know about me, but I know about you. So say hello for the subtle on three, two. I like to be everything you want. Hey, girl, I would talk to you. If I was your boyfriend, I'd never let you go. Keep you on my arm, girl, never be alone. I can be a gentleman, anything you want. I'll lose your boyfriend, never let you go, never let you...
show, ladies and gentlemen. Good night.